If you have a Bible with you today, uh, whatever form that might be, might be in, a, a digital one, a physical one, however you may have brought one with you today, I'll encourage you to go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. share some thoughts with you from a passage here and, and one other. Today is uh, typically on the calendar, oh, well, I say that. Actually, Thursday, this past Thursday, was Ascension Day, A-S-C-E-N-S-I-O-N, to ascend, to rise. And uh, it's, uh, you know, in, in the the tradition that I grew up in, the Southern Baptist tradition, we didn't celebrate a lot of these additional days. You know, there was Easter, there was Christmas, but, you know, Maundy Thursday, uh, to some degree, Good Friday, a day like Ascension Day today, which if you uh, go back and count on the calendar, you count 40 days from Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. That's how you arrive at the day of Ascension, because the Bible tells us that when Jesus returned and he hung out with his disciples for a little while, he hung out with them and a whole bunch of other people for 40 days. It wasn't like he just rose on that resurrection morning, said hi to everybody, and then off he went. He hung around for a while, continuing to teach and to reveal himself. And you think about that and how that indicates to us it wasn't just the disciples who witnessed Jesus being resurrected. In fact, the Bible tells us that there were a whole bunch of people who saw him and, and were witnesses to the fact that he had died, been buried in the tomb, and resurrected. And then uh, we arrive at uh, this day, Ascension Day, which was Thursday. Um, our, our Episcopalian friends would, would be uh, giving us a little bit of their turned-up nose today because we've missed it by three or four days because, uh, you know, typically... Baptists, even if they get around to it, they don't do it until the next Sunday. So, you know, whatever. Uh, we're here. Uh, you might recall, in fact, when we were uh, talking about some, some Easter things, it might have been the Sunday after Easter Sunday. I talked about uh, some church pageants, you know, Easter shows, pageants, concerts, musicals, where uh, Jesus being resurrected had, had some failures. Uh, in the way that it was presented, one of those being the, uh, here's Jesus rising out of the tomb and the, the fireworks start going off and sets the set on fire, which, you know, look, I mean, come on, if you're going to go for spectacle, setting the stage on fire has been pretty tried and true for a long time, right? I mean, heavy metal bands, rock bands, they've done it. Um, I've done some of those musicals. I've never done fireworks, but we did some of those musicals back in the day, and we were always trying to find ways to to elevate that, um, you might, I can't show you this video today because we're in church. But if you want to go home and look it up, that's your business, you know. <laughs> Firefox has incognito mode, you can do whatever you need to do. Um, there are also some failures of Jesus' ascension videos out there as, as people try to communicate how this works, but I'll describe it to you. Uh, the one that is most common, and you can find all kinds of remixes, which are kind of fun, is the, the, the crowd of, of people is there, and they're dressed in their costumes, and, and Jesus is standing there, and he's given them uh, some of the words that we're going to read today, and 
through some, I don't know what the system is they're using. I don't know if they just tied a rope to this guy's waist and thought they were gonna pick him up, or it doesn't look like a professional, what they call a fly system that you would have up where it's balanced and there are people actually trained to do that stuff. You know, if you've ever been to a, a really pro show where they do this, the people that run those things where people fly around, I mean, that's a specific skill set and they're paid specifically to do that. Karen and I went to uh, Peter Pan once at uh, the Performing Arts Center and it was uh, a terrible show. <laughs> the best part though was um, at one point when Peter Pan was down here at the front and had talked all about how they were, you know, started the left and on to whatever Neverland and took off and flew to the, took off the stage and flew and then right as they got to the window they were a little off. And it was this action, it was <laughs> around and that was the best part of the show. Um, it was great. But uh, this ascension has a similar theme. Uh, Jesus begins to rise and he's got his robe on and I don't know whose decision this was. But his robe was basically a religified version of a hospital gown. All right, you're with me, right? And about the time he got this far off the ground, something was out of balance and he started to spin. And as he got here, he started to try to, and then he's trying to decide, do I, do I Jesus it? Or do I cover my booty? It didn't work out in either way, and he just spun faster as he went up. I, unfortunately, there's not a full clip, so we don't know how they reconciled this. If they, you know, look, the show must go on, right? I mean, what are you supposed to do? Uh, but what we get in this description about Jesus and his ascension gives us some clues about how that actually happened and maybe what that looked like. Although I tried all week as I was preparing for this to really wrap my head around what happens here. All right, so just to, to set the stage, some things that have happened prior to these events that we're going to read about here in these couple of verses this morning. Jesus has had the Last Supper with the disciples. He's been crucified. He's, he's resurrected. Uh, Mary and the other women have seen him in the tomb, which, uh, by the way, I saw this quote yesterday that just kind of floored me. You know, the dudes came to the tomb and looked in, and what did they see? Clothes. The women came to the tomb and looked in, and what did they see? They saw the angels. And I thought, huh. Is it that the angels weren't there when the guys came, or was it that the guys weren't really expecting to see anything miraculous, but the women were? I thought that was interesting. Because, you know, was the angel just checked out? I don't know. Anyway, it was interesting to me. But this happens, all right? Uh, Mary and the other women... Uh, come, they're told Jesus is risen. Why do you look for the, the living among the dead? Go and tell uh, Peter and the other disciples that, that he's risen. And then uh, the disciples are out in their boat. Peter's gone back out fishing with some other guys because the whole thing has come to, to pieces, right? The wheels have come off the entire thing. They're out fishing. Jesus actually arrives there and meets them on the beach, talks to them about their fishing technique. You know, they're fishing on the left side of the boat. He says, put the net on the right side of the boat. Does this make any sense? No. But it's Jesus. And, and so they do it. And they, 
they fill their nets and then they come in and and as they're eating with him he begins to teach them you know that fresh fish right there off the out of the net on the beach on the fire here's jesus 24 hours ago we thought he was dead now look at he's here we have the story of these two disciples who are walking down this road to a place called Emmaus. And they're talking about all of the events that have happened in Jerusalem over the past week. They're lamenting the fact that Jesus has died. And then along the way, it says uh, in the scriptures, it says that a stranger meets them and begins to talk to them and says, what are you guys talking about? And they tell him what they're talking about. We're talking about Jesus and how this was terrible. And, and we don't know what we're going to do now. And this stranger shares some words of encouragement with him. And then the Bible says that he sat with them to eat and they broke bread. And when Jesus broke the bread, their eyes were open and they realized it was him. They were like, hey, it's you. And then boom, he was gone. On to his next thing. Peter and Jesus have sat on that beach with the fish that they'd just caught. And, and Peter has felt the shame of his denial of Jesus. And Jesus has, has gathered Peter to, to him and called him close and said, I get it, Peter, it's okay. But if you love me, if you really love me, then go and, and feed my sheep. It's one of the, the greatest stories of God's redemption in all of the scriptures there. Uh, it, you know, Peter wasn't just a, didn't just forget about Jesus. He actively said, I don't know that guy. Leave me alone. Blankety blank, 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 you guys. Don't associate me with that Jesus guy anymore. Three times he did that. And yet Jesus comes back to him and says, Peter, I love you. Do you love me? You love me, get back to work. Do what I asked you to do. So many of these things have transpired and others that are not recorded in the scriptures. We don't have the details of, of everything that happened in that 40-day period. But then we arrive at here, the beginning of the book of Acts, written by uh, Luke, same writer of the Gospel of Luke, uh, we think. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, let's just stop right there, first of all. Uh, the disciples are still thinking, some of them, whoever's asking this question, like many had thought up until this time, that the, what we would call the messianic kingdom was being established, that the Messiah had come, the Savior had come to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel, and he was going to establish the kingdom again of the people of Judah, the people of the lion, the Jews. They were going to be reestablished because they'd been under the boot of so many oppressors for so long now that they didn't even have a home to call their own. That finally, Jesus had come and he was going to usher in this time, and it was more of a political idea than it was a spiritual idea. 
And so there was still, even after everything that Jesus had taught, and, and we have this wonderful gift of being able to kind of look, you know, hindsight and see the, the big picture, see the arc of the story without being in the middle of the story. Because you know how it is now. I mean, a week from now, you'll look back and things that you thought today, they didn't work out quite like they, you thought they might. Or you had no idea, and finally you see some resolution to it a week from now, two weeks from now, a year from now. That's the circumstance they're in. They're trying to interpret everything that they're seeing in real time. But Jesus doesn't have that constraint. He understands what's happening even though he's human. He's still fully God. He's still fully divine. And he knows what is coming. Because as he says to us many times, the Father has told him. And so he immediately dispels their question. Their question is, Jesus, are you, gonna, are you now going to set up political rule and comfort for the nation of Israel? And so he says to them in verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so Jesus turns the conversation away from this political discussion, and, and he reminds them instead that his mission has always been about something greater even than the people of Israel. It certainly includes them, and he's going he's gonna to put a fine point on that here in just a moment, but it's not exclusively about them. The gospel has never been exclusively about those that God set apart as his covenant people back all those generations before with Abraham. And so he says, what you need to understand is that the Father is still the one who's in control of all of this, and there are fixed times that he has set, and only he knows what that progression is going to look like. So then it raises the question, he answers the question before it's asked, if that's the case, if it's not about a political statement, if it's not about a political structure, and if it's not something that you can tell us specifically today how that's going to work out, then Jesus, what do we do? That's the natural question that what Jesus says uh, provokes, and he answers it before it's even asked. He says this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now this is a cornerstone verse to uh, everything that modern Christianity is intended to conform to when we think about the ideas of evangelism, discipleship, witnessing, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. These are the marching orders here. We have, it, we have the other verse at the end of one of the Gospels. You know, go ye therefore into all the nations, teaching them to do those things which I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the end of the age. That's a, the great commission. But here, now he's putting, now he's putting the particulars to it. How is this going to happen? Uh, I think Jason and I, uh, this might even actually be 
reference to our website in our What We Believe section. I don't remember. I know we've talked about it before, but uh, again, kind of growing up in the Southern Baptist tradition, um, Jesus, look, there's the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, the triune nature of God. That uh, there are three distinct personalities in the Trinity that we see, but they are all fully God, all fully equal. They are all the same God. There's one God, three expressions. I, I can try to put together a hundred metaphors to give you all of the pictures of this, but better theologians than I have tried to do that, and it's, it's what we call um, ineffable. Difficult to understand, in fact, impossible to fully understand. And let me say this, there are people who push back against that. Um, I'm just going to say this, and if you don't like it, I don't care. <laughs> if you can quantify everything about the God that you worship, he's not a God. He's you. If I can detail every single thing and understand everything about the God that I believe is the creator of all who was pre-existent before time and space, who is outside of everything and within everything that I can see and everything that I can't see, who holds the power of the entire universe that we can know and everything beyond it in the palm of his hand and from the breath of his voice spoke everything into being that we can see. If I can understand everything about that guy, he's really not that much. I'm thankful that my God has some things that I can't quite get my head wrapped around. Because in times of struggle, in times of pain, in times of turmoil, in times of needing direction, I need somebody who knows more than I do. My failure is sometimes I don't bother to ask the one who knows more than I do, and I try to slug it out on my own. But we have this, this picture of the Trinity in the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and uh, in a lot of, I think, what would be called evangelical upbringing, maybe fundamentalist upbringing, Jesus is our favorite. Now, we like the Father because we got that whole Old Testament thing we got to work with, and, and we see him in there, and, and we see Jesus at the beginning of Genesis because John tells us about that, that Jesus was the force of the creation. We learn that later in the beginning of the Gospel of John. But man, like Holy Spirit gets treated like the third wheel of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> and yet here, I mean, Jesus said, listen, I'm leaving you. That's what Jesus said to us. He says, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send to you a helper, and that helper will be the Holy Spirit of God. The very Spirit of God will be with you. And on you and in you. In fact, what Jesus says here, and it's reiterated many, many times throughout other passages in the New Testament, the Christian, you and I who are believers, followers after Christ, have zero power without the Holy Spirit. If we expect to do anything in this world that is of a spiritual nature to communicate, to change, to transform, whether it's in ourselves or in the world around us, the only place that power comes from is the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then this is the part I want you to really take in. What is that power intended to cause us to do? He says, and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be the witnesses of God upon the earth. The word witness here in the Greek means to display, to show, to speak. We are to be his ambassadors among the world in which we live. Now that can take a lot of forms. Um, you and I are, are friends with and some have been involved in traditions where the work of the Holy Spirit is almost exclusively relegated to the acts of signs and wonders. You understand me? Uh, miracles, the speaking of, of, in, in tongues, um, displays of, of, of grandeur. There's, look, mm, super summer one hour Sundays, I got eight minutes. I love my friends. And I can only trust God to do what God can do. I can't work it out. But listen to me, friends. I don't care what kind of flavor it is of church that you might be in or have been in or grew up in or want to be in. And even ours, we have to be cautious. We're trying to be mindful of these things. The Holy Spirit is not a trick bag. Uh, he's not a showpiece. I have friends that talk about being in worship and, and then getting engulfed in fire tunnels. I don't know. Listen, I have, I have watched the devil come out of people's bodies in direct one-on-one -on -one confrontation with demonic spirits. I have, uh, Karen and I, have prayed for people. A specific person comes to my mind. We prayed for a person that the doctors said they will not recover. And an hour later, they were awake and speaking and living to this day a healthy life. Uh, our elders have prayed for a friend right here in this place who, again, the doctor said, your condition is, is going to take you. And she's still among us. And she, she will tell you that this prayer, this moment, was when it changed. Our son, Christopher. Uh, lay in the hospital when he was in seventh grade, uh, sat on the edge of his bed and said to me, Daddy, am I going to die? And I said, I don't know. But a friend of ours from here came and said, can I pray for Christopher? I feel like God wants me to come and pray for Christopher. And I said, Christopher, do you want, you want Bradley to come and pray? And he said, yeah. And Bradley came to the hospital, sat by his bed and talked with him and prayed with him. And within the next 24 hours, Christopher's entire health had turned around. So it's not that I don't believe in miracles, but listen, miracles serve the purpose to be a witness to the world. And, and I'm just going to say there's an environment out there that is, that is cultivating a thing where it looks to me like the miracles that are happening are a whole lot more for the people that are already bought in than it is for the people out there that need to be witnessed to. That's all I'm saying. 
Whatever work you want the Holy Spirit to do, the power of the Holy Spirit is intended to transform us from the inside out and in that course for us to be witnesses to the world of his work and his power. And that's what he says here. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He's telling him you're going to be the witnesses to your friends, all those Jewish guys that you've been hanging out with, that you grew up with. Those are going to be, now you're going to start there. In Judea, the surrounding countryside and city, and up to this point, everybody's like, cool. I can totally talk to those guys that I grew up with, and I know my hometown. This is great. And then he says, and Samaria. <laughs> you know, you come up with your own metaphor. I don't care. Whatever it is, it's the people they didn't like. I mean, I could irritate you and put a fine point on it if you'd like. I will withhold in my three and a half minutes. Samaria. You go back and read the story of the Samaritan woman. It's beautiful. One of my, it's in my top five favorite stories in the Bible, the Samaritan woman at the well. The reason that story matters so much is because the disciples, even when they came back, they were like, what are you doing talking to that person? The stranger on the road who finds a man who's been beaten and cares for him. Samaritan man and a Jewish man, they hate each other. So he says, this power, this power to be my witnesses, it will go out from you. The spirit will come upon you and that power will, will imbue you with the ability to be my witnesses among all of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I love that part because this is where... See, Jesus knows, nobody standing around there right now really knows that the world is a ball. They don't really know what the world is. It pretty much ends at the oceans, right? But Jesus knows there's more because he made it. Amen. <laughs> he says, you're going to be my witnesses in everything that, that I'm talking about, the things that you grew up with and the things that you know, and the things that you know, you've been on vacation to the edges of Judea. And listen, those places you don't like to go, you're going to go there. And beyond that, guess what? There's stuff you don't even know about. And you will have that power. So I want to encourage you then with one final scripture here. Well, I don't want to miss the ascension. So when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. And I, the implication, so, you know, a cloud, like a cloud comes down and envelops Jesus, and, and off he goes. I, you know, was it slow? I don't know. Was the, I don't know. Uh, Star Trek <laughs> transporter? I don't know, but it had to be amazing because they're all going... And these two dudes in big white robes appear... And really what they're saying is, hey, why are you standing here? He, ju he just told you. Uh, go get ready, because the Holy Spirit's coming. And you're going to have this power that you didn't know. 
And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it tells us this. This man, Ephesians is so good. He, said, he says, we've obtained this inheritance uh, because God chose us and drew us to him. And because of that, we were the first to believe in him. And those who were the first to believe in, in the hope in Christ, uh, where we are the praise of his glory. And he says, so in him, you also. In him, you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of glory. There's a lot in here that I, I don't have time to unpack in that single verse about the security of the believer, that God is able to keep our salvation, that he seals us when he first chooses us and when we respond. But what that also tells us is that the moment, the moment any of us believe and receive the salvation that God offers us, the power of the Holy Spirit is with us because he sealed us. And he says he's able to then keep us, be with us, guarantee us all the way until the time that the full inheritance that God has planned for us is revealed. That's another thing the book of Hebrews hints at where it talks about all these great heroes of the faith. Rahab and, and Moses and, and all these people. It says, by faith, this person, and by faith, this person. And it tells us about this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. All of those who have gone on before us surround us in the kingdom of heaven, cheering us on as we run through this life with the power of the Holy Spirit behind us. But even there it says, and yet all those who are, still, who are already there in the kingdom of heaven, even they wait because there's something great, something magnificent, this inheritance that he's promised all of us that even they haven't seen yet because God's going to reveal it when we're all there together. That's the gift that God promises us. And he leaves us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered here on this earth not to live lives for ourselves, not to keep our salvation to ourselves, but we are empowered to be witnesses in our own Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth wherever God may call us and give us opportunity. And so I leave you, I leave myself with this question. Am I being a witness? Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord keep you and bless you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, uh, make us aware of your spirit with us, in us, your power upon us. Lord, that we would have a boldness to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world around us, the community, the friends that we hang out with, the strangers that we meet. Lord, all in every place, as, as we talked about, uh, how do we know when to share the gospel? At every opportunity where you open the door. Lord, that's the answer.
Lord, let us live, move, operate in the power of the Holy Spirit that you have given us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen.